And now Radio Maria England presents Questions of Faith. Good morning, everybody. I'm Father Tony Rogers. I'm the parish priest of Our Lady and St. Peter in Aldborough here on the Suffolk coast, and I'm speaking to you from there. And it's a pleasure to have as my co-host this morning for Questions of Faith, Father Luke Goimer, who's going to introduce himself. Thank you, Tony. Hello, um, I'm Father Luke. I'm the parish priest of Brandon and Milden Hall, and I'm speaking to you from Brandon today. Uh, and I'm also the chaplain to the Dyson Youth Service. So it's, it's great to be on today um, answering questions of faith um, to do with you. Yeah. And this morning we're going to be answering your questions about faith, about the Catholic Church, about social issues and any other topics that might come up. And if you've got any other questions you'd like us to answer, please email us on questions at Radio Maria England UK. And you can also call us here in the studio on 02037 818 423. Or you can text WhatsApp, the Radio Maria mobile on 07502 385 010. We'll give you those numbers again. So Luke's going to lead us in prayer now. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Father, we thank you for this time of exploration in our faith this morning. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and on all who will listen, and help us to explore the richness of your church. Help us to come to know your Son, Jesus Christ, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's been quite a week in terms of what people have been talking about. And one of the issues on many people's minds is the Pope's latest instructions or directives about the extraordinary form of Mass. People are puzzled as to why it's happened, why he's done this. And people are also wondering whether it affects all of the liturgy that's celebrated in Latin, not just the extraordinary form, but Latin mass in general. So, Luke, have you got any thoughts on that? Mm, yeah. Um, uh, just as you were speaking, actually, I was just reminded of something that my, my liturgy prof used to say at seminary, um, which was uh, people get very uptight over liturgy it's very very deep and personal and uh, it goes you have to remember that the first murder in the bible was over liturgy um cain and abel <laughs> so um it can be a very very divisive issue um but what are my thoughts well my my immediate thoughts are this you know um pope benedict um had a motu proprio in what 2007 um and his his idea behind that his his um desire was unity in the church was to create continuity between um the post um uh, vatican ii celebration of the mass and the and the um uh, um present celebration and pope francis is trying to do exactly the same thing albeit using a different method 
Um, I think what we've seen, very sadly, is that in some areas of the church, there's been real um, division over how mass has been celebrated. And, um, you know, the Pope hasn't just done this because, you know, it's on a whim. He's, he's consulted all the bishops of the church on this issue. And there's been a, a, a real um, time of discernment. And uh, the Pope has, you know, not stopped the mass from happening in the extraordinary form, but he's saying, the bishops on the ground need to make the call because we need to work together for the unity of the church and to really preserve those authentic developments which happened between 1962 and 1965 and then in the, the period post the Second Vatican Council. Um, so I suppose they would be my, my, you know, my first thoughts about it, that it's the Pope's doing the same thing as his predecessors, but he's, he's having to use a different tact because of you know, the situation we're in. Yeah, I, I think, thank you, Luke. I think it's it's interesting, isn't it, that this is, it's more than the Latin language and more than Gregorian chant, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first thing I think to say in relation to Latin is there's not the slightest problem over the use of Latin in church. Uh, in one or two parishes I've worked in, we had a, a, a Latin mass regularly with, with, Lat with Gregorian chant, with Latin music. Um, and and these, but these were regular masses. They were mm -hmm. the same mass that we celebrate in our own language. And in that sense, it was no different from having a Polish mass or an Italian mass. Um, so, so that's one thing that, that the language itself is not at stake here. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's any issue about people who have a preference, you know, for whatever reasons, um, uh, a preference for things as they have been in the past but what is important and i think you've brought it out very well luke is this idea that it's much more than whether people can celebrate the extraordinary form because it's also about whether people are able to say we actually prefer this form but the 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 ordinary form of mass because this is the extraordinary form the ordinary form of mass is absolutely valid and, and part of the mainstream life of the vast majority of people in the church. Um, uh, and, and I think that's something we need to, to bear in mind. And it's, it's also, I think, in terms of what you said about the unity of the church, it's about the ability of all those who support the extraordinary form to be able to say, and we go along with and accept uh, the teaching of Vatican II and the the changes that have developed from it uh, you made that wonderful point at the beginning about liturgy being divisive from the start i think it's also important to say isn't it that we have a tendency in some quarters to make the mistake of assuming that nothing liturgically has ever changed since the last supper yeah. or since a particular date the modifications throughout history variations in the way mass is celebrated there are still eastern rites alive and kicking in the church in this diocese of east anglia plenty of places where the Syro malabar rite is alive and kicking but also in the western history uh, there are there are different variations still around and still living so let's 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 try and understand that the breadth of of the whole uh, celebration of the liturgy and uh, while we can 
can can say what we like or prefer let's not get ourselves into a corner over it yeah i agree i agree i just i just think um you know you touch on that 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 brilliantly but you know the, the church is is a living tradition yeah. <laughs> it's not static I think sometimes we can fall into this very flawed idea that the church is it is ancient, but it's not unchanging. Um, <laughs> we we are constantly growing, constantly changing, constantly in conversion, aren't we? So um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I think we've probably dealt with that one, okay, uh, as best we can. Um, right. Um, our, our next question. What's our next question? Um, so we've just had the feast of St. Mary Magdalene um, this week. Um, and uh, Mary is a, a popular name in the Bible. There are lots of Marys. And uh, the question is, do we know whether she is the sister of Martha, um, the Mary who sat at the feet of the Lord? And who is uh, the Mary who wiped the feet of Jesus? Um, so basically the question is asking, um, who is Mary Magdalene? Is she? <laughs> did she wipe Jesus's feet? And is she a Mary and Martha? Um, I don't know. What do you think, Tony? Well, I think it brings up a, a big question about scripture. Um, I've been on pilgrimage to the Holy Land on a number of occasions. And each time I've been there and visited, you know, the holy places, there have always been some people who've really wanted to know did this happen in this exact spot and did this event really happen in the way it's described and were the personnel mentioned you know exactly the ones that are mentioned in scripture because the gospels do vary a little bit about that i think we have to be very careful about wanting to know precise details mm. the simple answer to the question is is about Mary is that the tradition of the church is that the Mary who wiped the feet of Jesus and anointed his head, his feet is anointed him with oil, that that was Mary Magdalene. There's, there's no reason to link the Mary of Martha and Lazarus, I don't think, with Mary Magdalene. But the simple answer is we don't know. And the bit of the answer that goes with it is that it doesn't matter hugely. Hmm. Scripture is about the message rather than the details. Hmm. And, and we can get ourselves a bit lost if we worry about, was this the real person? Or was this the right place? Or was it somewhere else? I mean, you've only to go to the Holy Land to, to realise that um, the place of Jesus's baptism, the tradition surrounding that, does vary from one spot to another. Uh, and the same is, is, is true in all sorts of, of, of spots and places. There are, there are, there's usually an alternative posited. But it's a way of saying, and I think we'll come on to this in a slightly different way in our next question, it's a way of saying that, that places that are called holy are not made holy precisely because something happened there, but because people have prayed there for centuries and made that ground or that spot a holy place and that's what gives place a place its sanctity so have you any any thoughts to add to that loot um i mean i would i'd agree completely um yeah i think we can get hung up on the details sometimes 
Um, but I think uh, certainly the liturgy makes it clearer now with our, our feast days. So we, I think we had, where are we now? We're the 23rd, was it Mary, it was Mary Magdalene yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 22nd of, of July. On the 29th of July, we celebrate um, Mary, um, Lazarus and Martha. Um, so that would be Mary of Bethany. Um, and uh, you know, the liturgy makes it clear that there are um, um, likely, very likely two different Marys in that respect. But in terms of, as you say, you know, the, the ins and outs of, uh, um, you know, the Mary who anointed the feet of, of Jesus. I know sometimes in the past as well, Mary Magdalene's been um, uh, cast as the, the woman caught in adultery as well. Mm -hmm. Um, which um, I can't remember the Pope, but that's that's sort of being <laughs> being cleared up in the tradition, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, stick to the message. Don't get hung up on the details. Mary's a very popular name in the Bible, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think our next question, it in a sense, follows on from what we've been saying uh, in relation to the. Uh, the, the scriptures and this is a question about shrines um are we going to uh, we're going to be stuck in britain for the summer and so lots of people will be having their staycations and having days out and uh, one or two people are, uh, have been wondering are there any catholic shrines that we should make a, a particular effort to visit um so any thoughts from you, Luke, on that? Hmm. Um, so I suppose uh, the ones that come to mind are the ones I have direct experience of. So um, aside from the obvious, Walsingham, which we, we know all about that, um, I would say, um, so there's the National Shrine of St. Jude in Fathersham. We actually ran a youth pilgrimage to there, one Pentecost a few years ago. Um, well, that's well worth going to. And there is um, the shrine in Aylesford with the um, Carmelites, um, where I think actually our previous bishop, Bishop Michael Evans, was ordained priest there. I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure he had an outdoor ordination. But anyway, um, and that has the shrine of the Brown Scapula and the shrine of St. Simon Stock. There's quite a lot to see there. Nice little tea room and um, uh, a real pilgrimage uh, centre. Um, and then the other one or the other two that I'm, I'm, I'm aware of and I have direct experience of is um, uh, the shrine uh, St. Winifred's in Holy Wales. So we're, we're going to Wales now. I know perhaps COVID restrictions might be a bit different there. Um, but um, uh, the shrine of St. Winifred, there's um, the, uh, the water there and, and people have been going there for um, a very, very long time in pilgrimage. And um, uh, lots of uh, miracles of past, I think, are associated with that place. Um, and my favourite one, which is not in Catholic hands, as it were, but certainly a, a Catholic place of pilgrimage, is um, the Shrine of St. Thomas Becket in, in Canterbury Cathedral, um, you know, the place of his martyrdom. Um, I know the Catholic Church in the area has something as well, I think. Um, but um, yeah, St. Thomas Becket, the, the patron of, of English clergy, um, uh, someone I think has been over overshadowed, but a great place of pilgrimage, Canterbury, and was a great place of pilgrimage in, uh, in you know in, uh, the earlier um, uh, ages. Uh, what, do, what do you reckon, um, Tony? Yeah, I think that's a good lead into what I was thinking of saying because uh, the shrine of Thomas Becket is a fascinating one. There isn't actually um, anything left, you know, associated with him, but a candle 
burns in the Trinity Chapel there. Mm. People make the climb up the stairs to the, the chapel. And it, it's like the thoughts we had on scripture, that places are made holy because over the centuries people have gone to pray there. It seems to me that visits to shrines too are a wonderful opportunity for us to put a, sort of put on our ecumenical hats because so many of the shrines in, in the UK are found in the great English cathedrals and in sometimes in just in parish churches. And it's an opportunity for us to, um, to pray with fellow Christians uh, in, in places that are associated with certain saints. Uh, and I think there's, it, it's worth remembering that um, sometimes it's the saints themselves who are indirectly responsible for some of the splendid buildings we have. Um, Hereford Cathedral down in, in, in the West Midlands is one of my favourite cathedrals. It's not a huge one, but there you find the shrine of St Thomas de Cantaloupe. Uh, and Thomas de Cantaloupe, um, the, the, the veneration of him began and the shrine began long before great expenses went on the cathedral. And mm. it's quite clear that the, the pilgrims coming in, in droves over, over a period of time actually um, filled the coffers of, of the cathedral uh, and enable them to, to to build, you know, more completely this the magnificent love and lovely cathedral that is there now. Um, and perhaps my final thought on this is that, you know, there are shrines for different reasons. Um, early Christians used to venerate the place of martyrdom, uh, and almost instinctively and instantly, uh, the the place of martyrdom would become holy because somebody had been martyred there and, and and people prayed there and celebrated the Eucharist there. That was true, of course, of the catacombs as well, the burial place of many early Christians. So some are associated with martyrdom. Others are associated with the life of particular individuals. And, and others, yet again, are associated with legends and we mustn't laugh at legends because legends have often got a real sort of grounding behind them it's just the details that are a bit uh, a bit unsure uh, but it's not hard to find uh, places of uh, pilgrimage around our country and um, and many of them are very very accessible indeed so I, I think you could have quite an interesting summer you know, popping into places, uh, and you know, the the websites and 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 books. There are plenty uh, of 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 ways of finding out out about local saints. And one interesting way of finding out about a local saint is if you see in an old parish church a, a dedication that puzzles you, that a name you've not heard of, then it may well be because there's only one church in that country in the in the country dedicated to that saint and that therefore in that church there may well be a specific link with with the saint 
to whom the church is dedicated. So it can be a, a great time, I think, of, of exploration, uh, among other things. Well, I think we've done enough talking for a while, haven't we, Luke? So let's, uh, shall we have a little music break now? You are listening to Questions of Faith, and I'm Father Luke Goymore, parish priest of Brandon and Mildenhall. I'm here with my fellow diocesan priest, um, Father Tony Rogers. Um, and if you have any questions for us, please email questions at radiomariaengland.uk. And you can call us here in the studio on 02037 818 or you can text or WhatsApp the Radio Maria mobile on 07502385010. This programme is also available on Spotify, Anchor, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. OK, well, our next question. Um, our next question concerns um, someone called Father Gabriel Amorth. Now, he was the um, leading diocesan exorcist in Rome um, for many years. He died, I believe, a few years ago. And um, someone I read um, both his books before I was a seminarian. Um, uh, and he writes in his books, a listener has pointed out, that bishops do not nominate enough exorcists, or sometimes none at all. Um, and in dioceses where there are no exorcists, Father Amorph has suggested that those who are in need of them should ask a local charismatic prayer group to pray on them. And to support this, Father Amorph quoted Mark 16, 18. These signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes in their hands. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on their sick and they will recover. Though he made clear that they are not allowed to use the exorcism right, that's very important. This seems to have been more common among the first Christians. So the question is, was Father Amorth right? And have we somehow neglected the words of Jesus in recent centuries? Okay, well, I've got a, a couple of thoughts on that. Um, uh, and then uh, I'll see what you think, Tony. Um, let me just come back to that last question first. Have we somehow neglected the words of Jesus in recent centuries? Um, I would say every human person who has ever lived has neglected the words of Jesus at some point in their lives. And as the church is made up of human people, um, the church has neglected the words of Jesus at various points. Um, we are frail human beings. Um, but has it on that point? Yeah, perhaps at times. Um, but does it on the whole? No. Um, so let's, let's just think about the question about exorcism in particular. Um, Gabriel Amor, Father Gabriel Amorph was writing this in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it might well have been the case that in Italy and in America and in some countries, um, the ministry of exorcism uh, was neglected. Now, it's an interesting point that the, the chief exorcist in any diocese is the bishop. 
um, he is the, by default the exorcist. So there was never actually a diocese uh, without an exorcist. Um, but certainly my only experience, and I've been ordained 11 years, I've been at seminary before then, my only experience of this ministry is very well provided for. Um, in fact, my first spiritual director was one of the diocesan exorcists in the Archdiocese of Birmingham. That's one of the diocesan exorcists. Um, and an exorcist is a specialist. Um, just as we have people who specialise in marriage law and people I specialise in youth ministry and everything else. A parish priest, I think, um, I say this a lot, is very much like a, um, a spiritual version of a GP, a general practitioner. Um, you have a working knowledge of just about everything <laughs> that you need to for day-to-day -day stuff. But there comes a point when you refer someone to a specialist. And, uh, and we do have those specialists available to us in the Diocese of England and Wales. So I would not say that that is true now. It's not neglected. Um, with respect to the charismatic prayer groups, um, the church asks caution. So um, yes, every Christian, we pray, don't we? We pray several times a day, deliver us from evil. That is a prayer um, in a sense of, of exorcism with a small E because we're asking us to be delivered. But the church would prefer us to use the word deliverance. And there have been um, some very um, helpful deliverance ministries which are regulated and, and uh, are understood to be very helpful that have come out of the charismatic um, uh, tradition. And yes, um, if, you, if you're feeling some spiritual difficulty, then it may be in some circumstances helpful to visit uh, a charismatic prayer group. However, there must be much, much caution there because it's not a free for all. Um, people shouldn't be um, casting out demons left, right and centre. Um, I'm a great advocate of, of what C.S. Lewis said. Um, where C.S. Lewis says, you know, um, people are either obsessed with demons and see demons everywhere or they don't believe at all. And the devil loves both extremes. Um, so we must be very prudent, very careful. And I think in the first instance, if you're really struggling spiritually, go and speak to your parish priest. Um, go and have a talk with him and, 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 and let him talk about, you know, see what's what's going on. And if you've got a charismatic prayer group, OK, perhaps um, talk to them as well. But but, but be very careful because these things are not things that we just, um, uh, you know, <laughs> go in foolhardy. Uh, Tony, what are your thoughts, do you reckon? Thanks, Luke. I think it's 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 always important to remember that we would have no exorcists if the church didn't take seriously the presence of evil in our world. Every time we say the Lord's Prayer, we pray for deliverance from evil. Um, we, we talk about casting out, you know, the works of, 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 of the evil one, the devil. Um, we've perhaps been a bit sort of slow to mention those kind of names in recent years, but the reality of evil is ever present, but I think as, as you rightly said, not overwhelming. You know, it doesn't dominate the life of, of anybody, but it's an awareness that should be there for, for every one of us. The, the church is constantly involved in liturgical reform, and some of it is headline hitting, like the mass that we spoke about at the beginning. But all the time, the various rituals and rites and 
sacramental rites of the church are under scrutiny and review. And one of the, the, the rites that has recently been reissued and re-looked at and rethought and addressed, you know, from all sorts of different angles, is the rite of exorcism. And that's a, a, a serious rite of the church, which Luke and myself, I'm sure you don't you don't have a copy of it. I don't have a copy of it, because we are the we're the GPs. We're not we're not the people who will be exercising <laughs> um, this ministry of exorcism. Um, and, and I think it's worth remembering that those who are trained are really trained to a very high degree mm. you know they know what they're doing and i think the analogy of the gp is a perfect one it reminds me also of that the old aa advert where somebody said you know um i don't know what to do but i do know somebody who does <laughs> you know it's important for us to know that there are occasions when we should be referring on to somebody else not just when it comes to exorcists but also you know in terms of particular counseling skills or a thousand and one other things uh, so i think that's you know it, there are times when we know very rare occasions perhaps but there are times when we know that we don't have the skills to do this particular thing but it's important for us as priests to know who we can contact in this setting. So be assured that it's a ministry that's taken seriously, mm. uh, but it's nonetheless uh, one which, as you've said, Luke, needs to be uh, sort of handled with care. And it's not for us to jump in and say that we know the answer all the time. So I think we've probably looked at that fairly well so we'll go on to another question a much more day-to-day -day question but it's a real issue for people isn't it mm -hmm. somebody says i'm always confessing the same things should i stop confessing them what's the best thing i can do to get out of sin and bad habits that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question i'll <laughs> let you answer that to start with luke <laughs> um, so um yeah um, i think i'm going to say some of the things that i've i've counseled people with over the years as well now um i mean first off if, if you're committing the same sins then you should confess the same sins um i love pope francis's um quote you know um god never tires of forgiving us we tire of asking for forgiveness um god is is merciful and if we are stuck in particular patterns of sin then we need to bring this to god who is merciful god who is love um and um that in itself that accountability in the confession really 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 is is a is a, a large part a way of dealing with this because we you know we don't just receive forgiveness and um healing in the sacrament we also receive grace and grace in the specific areas of our lives where we're struggling um so to open our our wounded lives in this area to so if i'm for example always confessing being um uh, judgmental and that's something always come in time so every time i come to confession i'm bringing this judgment my judgmental nature to god he forgives me he heals those wounds but he's also given me grace to be less judgmental and it's incremental 
you know, I, I don't know about you, Tony, but I, I think back to the things that I was confessing 20 years ago. And yeah, some of them might be the same. Some of them aren't. And some of them are things that I'm much better at. Or oh, God, I can see the growth in that. Now, it seemed like at the time, week in, week out, month in, month out, I was stuck in the same pattern of sin. But actually, no, no, there's been real growth there. And that growth largely is to do with the sacrament and to do with God's grace working in me. I think that's where I'm at. Um, what do you think, Tony? Yes, I think it's uh, I think it's very important to be able, as well as confessing sin, to acknowledge uh, the workings of God's grace in us and to, to recognize that there is progress there, that things that were a problem many years ago may have thankfully through God's grace and our efforts have have, have moved on. It's not to say that uh, there won't be new temptations and new ways in which we can fail. I, I have to say that whenever anybody says to me, well, I'm far too old to commit sin now. <laughs> There's a bit of me that wants to say, no, 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 we're never too old to commit sin. Um, there are always ways in which the devil can find uh, new ways of tempting us that may never have affected us before. When I was uh, in primary school, I, I used to be cunning in my confessions uh, <laughs> because what I would do is, I had about four or five sins, and I thought it would be helpful to the priest if I sort of told them in, in a kind of rotation, so that it wasn't exactly the same list each time, but maybe <laughs> three out of five or something. Uh, because, first of all, I made the mistake of thinking that he'd remember exactly what I was going to confess. Uh, but And secondly, because I thought it might be a bit boring if it was the same every time. But I think... There is a certain wisdom from time to time, uh, as well as needing to confess the things that are there regularly. It's it's a good thing from time to time just to hone in on what might be a little bit more dominant at a particular time in our mm. life. Mm. Uh, and I think it's also worth remembering that our sins are not simply a list of unrelated events. There's often an underlying thread and a connection that that runs through them all. And that, that, you know, maybe there is one that lies at the base of it. It may be our pride, it may be, you know, our our, our tendency to dominate or what have you. Um and and sometimes it's worth, not just in confession, but in life just focusing a bit more narrowly, because when we have lots of things to confess, um, that's one of the reasons why it's often difficult coming back time and time again with the same thing, because, you know, with the best will in the world, we're not going to sort everything out no. in one fell swoop. We, we sometimes need to hone our attention in one direction. And I, I use the example and it may be a daft one, but it's 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 one that I think has some 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 relevance. Uh, I've never been a smoker, but I do know that people who are smokers who want to give up um, delight in the fact that they can say, "Well, I've gone the whole morning without a fag," or "I've actually managed the whole of the day." 
Mm. And the little successes, the little steps forward are far more important than, you know, the string of failures. You know, we need to be aware that God's grace is working in us because we are focusing. So if we if we say I'm a bit uncharitable, no harm in saying to myself, well, who am I uncharitable about, perhaps more than anybody else? Mm. Mm. So I think those are just little pointers for us uh, that, that, that may help us when we're going to confession. As, 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 as you rightly said, Luke, you know, nobody expects, you know, things that are there regularly to disappear overnight. And God's grace is big enough to forgive us all the time. And isn't it true that it's the love of God rather than the vengeance of God that always needs to be emphasized. God is not out to get us. No. God is out to there is there to pick us up on the days when it's difficult. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, really, really important. In fact, that kind of leads, I think, a little bit into our next question. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, um, our next question is about something called temporal punishment. And it asks, when I suffer, should I accept it as punishment? Um, <laughs> I mean, I would just reiterate what you said, <laughs> Tony. You know, God, God is a God of love. But do you just want to unpack that a little bit more? Yes, I, I think um, there is a tendency in quite a lot of people to feel that when things are going badly or indeed when they're ill or when other people are ill that it's god's way of punishment i mean we've seen all sorts of examples of this in recent years you know people suggesting that the covid19 is god's punishment uh you know that that aids was god's punishment that's not the way the god i believe in or the god who reveals himself in the bible works uh, and so, therefore, we shouldn't see any suffering that we are experiencing as punishment in that way. Um, so, so, and I and and I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's a sort of the the temporal word is a difficult one. I think, and it it brings us on perhaps to our next question, which is about purgatory um and and you know people wondering you know how long we spend there what's purgatory about well let me just share a thought on that um i always say to people i sleep the sleep of the just i'm very lucky that you know <laughs> when i go to sleep at night <laughs> that's it and i tend not to wake up uh, very often until the next morning and so I can sleep quite soundly. But if I'm staying somewhere as a guest and somebody comes in with a cup of tea and pulls the curtain back and lets the sunlight in in one fell swoop, it's all too much. I need to open my eyes slowly. Mm. And I think purgatory is just a way of saying you and I, for the most part, at the end of our lives are not quite ready for the glory of God. There's usually bits of unfinished business mm. that need to be sorted out before we can cope with the brightness of God's light and, and the eternal company with him. 
I believe very much that that's our destiny. But I believe also that purgatory is more a way of saying this is the way in which God, and not us, helps us through that transition so that we are made right for our life with him and the saints and those we love mm -hmm. um, forever. I don't think it's about time we spend, but I think it is sometimes about the degree of either alienation or closeness that we have. Mm. I think that, you know, um, at the moment of our death, most of us want to say, just give me five minutes to clear up. It's like the unexpected visitor. <laughs> when, when somebody says, I'm coming in half an hour, you have a quick whip round the house just to stuff things behind the the, the sofa <laughs> cushions and and tidy up bits of paperwork and, you know, do things like that. I, I think we'd all wish for a bit longer sometimes just to put things in order. Um, but, but that purgatory is just a way of saying that that's not how the life of most of us finishes. It's often unexpected. And that's when we, we need that transition, which is God's transition for us. Indeed. It's not a punishment, but it is a recognition of our shortcomings, I'm sure. So you add to those thoughts. There's <laughs> not a lot I would want to add. Uh, I, I, I just I love that image of the the sun pouring in, and you you sort of not yeah. ready for that yet. Um, I, my favourite image is is that from the late Cardinal Basil Hume, uh, who once described purgatory as sitting on the the knee of a merciful father and pouring into his ear the story of my life. Yeah. And there'll, there'll be good bits, and there'll be some not so good bits, and there'll, there'll be some suffering there in the telling of the story but it's a merciful telling and uh and you feel all the better once it's done then you're ready for that embrace um so i think um i think we've we've cleared that up hopefully hopefully listeners that helps you to to understand purgatory a little bit more and you certainly do believe in it it's certainly a teaching of the church yeah. so we're just gonna pause there and take another short music listening to questions of faith i'm father tony rogers and i'm here with my colleague father luke goimer and if you'd like to share any questions with us please email us on questions at radiomariaengland.uk and you can also call us here in the studio on 02037 818 423 or text on or WhatsApp to our studio mobile on 07502385010. This program is also available on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Anchor, and other podcast services. Over to you, Luke. 
Thank you, Tony. Um, so our next question, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that through baptism, lay people participate in the mission of Christ as priest, prophet and king. What does it mean and what is the common priesthood? Um, that's a beautiful truth seen very clearly in the baptismal rites. Um, yes, every baptised person is a priest, a prophet and a king. And what this means is that we are, first of all, um, a member of Christ's body and we are priests. But that priesthood is not the same as the ministerial priesthood. So the church makes a distinction between the ministerial priesthood, so priests um, who offer the sacrifice of the mass and the sacraments, and the priesthood of all the faithful. And the priesthood of all the faithful simply means that all of us are to offer ourselves to God. We are to make holy the world by the way in which we live. To be um, a king, again, in Christ doesn't mean we lord it over people, but it means we behave with the dignity of someone who belongs to the kingdom of God, that we rule our affairs as, some, as Christ would, asking ourselves, how would Christ act in a particular area of our life? And prophets, well, prophets are, are not those things that say the future and oracles and all kinds of things. A prophet is someone who speaks God's word, who speaks truth into situations. And so all of us as baptised members of God's family, as God's church, are called to speak God's word, to live God's word, to speak up for that which is truth in the way in which we live and, of course, in the words in which we say. Now, it is sports season. We've just had the um, World Cup and we're going into the Olympics. And Tony, I believe there is a, a question about sports, <laughs> a question of sport. <laughs> there is indeed a question of sport. And it's this. Is it OK to pray for your favourite team or player to win? Well, we haven't got much time, but very briefly, I think we need to start with the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we begin by saying uh, that God is holy, that his will should be done and his name be held holy. And that, 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 that that's what our prayer is all about. We never start off from our perspective. We start off from glorifying God. And so we can only ever put prayer in the context of something that is God's will. God is not going to choose one team over another, but it doesn't mean that supporters of different teams can't, you know, pray if it's God's will that their team shouldn't win. It's like farmers playing for rain and cricketers playing for fine weather. It, it praying for fine weather. It, it's 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 a kind of, you know, we leave it in God's hands. But if we try and make it our agenda, then we're going to fail. Now we're coming up to the the last moment, I think. So I'm just going to conclude with a prayer and I'm going to say, Lord, we thank you for the time that we've been able to share together the questions and the searchings of many different people. Our life is a life of exploration at all times. We know that we will never have all questions answered, but that you never stop us in our search. So thank you, Lord, for your presence among us as we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, we hope to be with you again very soon indeed. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Tony. 
Um, and I think we're supposed to mention that the um, this is rebroadcast at Sunday at 4 p.m., Monday at 9 p.m., and Thursday at 2 p.m. 2 a.m. 2 a.m. in the morning. And Quite this right. Sorry. This <laughs> as a podcast <laughs> on our website and on a podcast services. Um, thanks so much for listening to us. And, um, Tony, it has been a pleasure, as always. And, and likewise with you, Luke. Thank you. Bye-bye and God bless. God bless you. Mm -hmm.